What's up, guys? John Sentos here, Cutter Nation podcast number 22. I think that's where we're at. We're finally at a huge one, made it made it over into the 20s. First of all, go check out my website. Links in my bio on Instagram or here on, on YouTube. You can get yourself an awesome Cutter Nation tee like Let It Fly Factory. I got my hat still in order. I'm low in stock, so you got to get them while they're hot. Also got J-bands, um, flush, flush bands, tap-weighted balls, Get anything for you in here. Don't forget to check out Caliente Cleats too. I'm all over the place for entrepreneurs trying to bring everything, all the good stuff to you guys. So without further ado, Travis Hash of Travis Hash Fitness and Performance, maybe, Sports right? Performance. Yep. Sports all right. You got, you got it. So what's going on, man? How's things going? You're up in Virginia, Maryland, Virginia, Maryland. right? Maryland, Maryland. Okay. How you doing? Doing well. Um, I'm actually joining you right before our game. We've got a game going on in about three hours, so I'm pretty excited uh, to get going after that. So, okay. So tell everybody you, you Travis Hatch Fitness. You're the strength coach at where? Where you're from? Give us a little history from you. Yeah. So uh, Travis Hash Hash Fitness Sports Performance. Um, I'm the owner of that, which is where I work one on one in small group with athletes. Um, and then outside of that, I'm also the head strength conditioning coach at a junior college. Um, in Baltimore, Maryland, CCBC Dundalk, um, and, and that's where I, I, uh, I'm at today. Gotcha. Right on. So you and I met on Instagram uh, through a legend, Robbie Rowe, who tagged me, him and uh, the natural ball player tagged me in a video, which is hilarious. And so now I have a challenge, but weirdly in San Diego, it rained today. So a uh, little, little low on the ability to get out there, but we'll see what we can do. I'm going to see if I can get that video knocked out soon. Um, uh, anyway, so you and I had some conversations about some stuff about lifting, fitness, training and stuff. And we really went back and forth and it sounded like our ideology was very similar to what you and I like to accomplish with athletes. Um, as far as pitchers go, what do you feel like is is your main goal for guys? Uh, main goal for pitchers is definitely going to be getting stronger in power development. Um, main goal overarching, I guess, with any strength conditioning program should be to keep guys healthy. Uh, I said this when I was talking with, with the legend, Robbie. Um, the best way to improve our performance is going to be healthy enough to perform day in and day out on the field every single day. All right, so in order to do that, we have to be strong in our shoulder. The way we're going to protect our elbow, our mechanics need to be fluid. And in order to perform at optimal levels, we want to develop that power um, in the areas and the planes that matter. So that is like number one goal. Let's, let's keep healthy and, and let's be powerful athletes. I got you. Yeah, I remember you talking about Robbie. So go over those planes that you were talking about. I found that very interesting because it's just not terminology that you hear every day. And so uh, and then so say it how you would as as a strength guy and then break it down for the rest of us 12 year olds who don't have the knowledge that you have. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess like the more complicated, there's three there's three different planes transverse. Um, which is your rotational movements. You have the frontal plane, which is your side-to-side -side movements. And then you have your sagittal plane, which is forward-backwards movements. So in a few studies um, show that power specificity is a thing. So um, where you're powerful, you're powerful in one plane, you may not be in all of the other planes. So we want to be specific with our power training. As baseball players, we're very transverse and frontal plane heavy, especially pitchers. So our whole basis as far as strength conditioning goes is developing power in the planes that matter. There may be some effect to having some sagittal pain, plane power, aka going up and down, box jumps, your Olympic lifts and things like that. But at the end of the day, we want to be powerful in the positions that matter that we're actually going to use onto the field. 
that. Yeah, I love I love that. That's actually something that I really I think it's very highly debated in the online pitching world. But even logically, uh, I went through a strength program. I, I kind of went through a very um, I feel like a very mature like growth period. I went to a junior college. Our yeah. junior college lifting program when I got there was very circuit based, not very person specific, but the pitching coach ran it. He knew what he was doing. He seemed like he had gotten a very good program. It's the first time I had actually done um, kettlebell swings and snatches without kettlebells, like before it was even a thing. Like this is back in, you know, I'm 32. This is back in like 2005. So um, that was a huge thing. And then I kind of progressed to a four-year university where it was like, I'm pretty sure it was a football workout packet that we had. And it was like, yep. when I read through it, it was like squats, deadlifts, um, lunges. Um, let's see, what else did we do? Uh, curl. It was like all in the same thing. Curls, shoulders, tricep extension, leg press, like all this stuff that very bodybuilder like thing. And granted, you know, it, it worked for me. I was a very underdeveloped athlete coming. In. I didn't even lift in high school and stuff from there. So how do you feel like, those different power sections, like you were saying, apply to let's start with pitchers first and then we'll go to position players next. Yeah, I don't even know that we need to split it. I mean, it's going to be very similar as far as power. Um, while there's obvious differences between pitching and position playing, we still want to be powerful in those same planes. It, it, it's going to be the same all the way around. Um, now, where it matters is just time prioritization. So it doesn't mean that we're not going to do any sagittal plane movements or any sagittal plane um, power exercises. We still deadlift, sagittal plane movement. We still squat, sagittal plane movement. It's still important to have a baseline strength there and have some power in those planes. I, I, I don't want to pretend like we don't do any sagittal plane at all because that, that's not the case. It's just when we prioritize our things, I'm more likely to prioritize my time in frontal and transverse plane exercises like med ball throws, lateral jumps, chops, things of that nature than I am to prioritize marking off an entire tra training block that – you know, so all 50 of our guys can learn uh, a proper power clean. Okay. That's kind of the difference that it comes to. It's not all or one. I think a total program, it's got to be about the total effect. And, and that's what we go for. We just prioritize those planes more. Gotcha. Yeah. I, that makes sense because even myself, like, you know, how a lot of the, the programs that you see online, um, you, you see giant variations from Olymp Olympic lifts to this and that. And one of the things that I noticed that I even got in some Olympic lifts myself, some clings, some hang clings, that I noticed a lot of um, – some people have elbow issues, but I was actually having wrist issues. And yep. until, until I learned how to release it and get it with two fingers and really get those elbows underneath it and you know not hold it, catch it with the shoulders, maybe even a little bit of the collarbone and neck – that's where I noticed a big difference in my power claim to go up. But one thing I didn't notice that go up is I didn't notice any velocity change just because my power numbers went in that. I think the highest I got to was about 225 on my power claim. But I, might, I know my technique's terrible, you know, on that right. because I know my squat – I'm sorry, my front squat. I know my front squat's not exactly the best, so I saw a correlation between those two. But I noticed really a big – thing with myself being a you know a very long gangly uh athlete was that i was getting tweaks more often doing those type of lifts and things um and so the risk reward for me personally wasn't i didn't really see it as something i felt like i needed to do all the time you know what i mean yeah and, and let me ask you how long do you think it took you and you said your, your technique's still not there how yeah. long did you give olympic lifting a try to where you got you felt like your technique was at least good enough to try the 225 <laughs> 
probably two weeks. I was staying at 135 for about two weeks, you know, just a plate for about two weeks before I was like, okay, let me see what I can do. Just mainly because I got bored, just like any other athlete where I was like, okay, I feel like an idiot doing this. Let's see what, let's see if I can actually do this, you know? Yeah. So from, from my, and it's a little bit different when we work one-on-one with athletes, but for my purposes, like I said, we have about just under 50 guys that come in. In order to get all 50 of those guys to be proficient enough that we could actually load Olympic lifts to where they would have any type of benefit for us, it would take us an, our entire probably fall, fall semester to get them competent enough to be able to do that. And that's not a knock on my athletes at all. They're, they're awesome athletes. It's just Olympic lifts are a highly technical lift. And I think if we're talking about time efficiency and um, like bang for buck exercises, I don't rate them that high on my list of exercises. I'm not saying that they have no effect on power. They're obviously a power exercise, especially when you get into talks like triple extension and, and, and things of that nature. Um, but they don't rank high enough on the list for me to prioritize them over uh, front on transverse planes. Interesting. Very interesting. So, okay, that, that little sidebar sub question, what would you rank as your top three, top five exercises for an athlete for, in, in baseball? Top three, top five. I don't, I, I'm hesitant to give you like three exercises, like this one, that one, and that one. Um, and, I, and we talked a little bit about this when we went live. Um, I think the best way to attack it overall is develop a baseline strength. You have to have that strength there. I don't care how many lateral jumps or how many med ball throws you do. If you weigh 125 pounds, you're not going to be a very powerful athlete, most likely, unless you're some sort of freak. Um, and if you're under 25 pounds, you're probably not. Um, so you definitely need to develop that baseline strength and get some size on you. Uh, I do believe to some extent, you know, mass equals gas. You have to have a little bit of size on you and be able to put forces into the ground. Second is putting those forces into the ground in the correct way. So that puts us into our med ball throws, our chop variations. And then as we've talked about, I'm a big fan of like hiding speed skaters, lateral bounding exercises that really emphasize that rotational and frontal plane component of our power. Um, and then third, getting into more specific work, which is your mechanics, your pitching mechanics. You can have all the power in the world, right? Um, meaning like, like a car or something, it can have all the horsepower in the world, but if it has a crappy driver, it's not going to get very far. So the mechanics got to get you the rest of the way. True, true. And even then for people that know me, I think mechanics is the worst word in the hist like in pitching, because when people think mechanics, everybody gets real robotic. You know right. what I mean? So like one thing Robbie and I talked about that we, we both really like is calling it motion. Cause that motion seems like it's, it's the entire thing. You know what I mean? Cause think about it. Every time you say the word mechanics, what do most people do? They lift their leg and stop, raise their mm -hmm. hand and stop, get to these weird like movement patterns looking like an Egyptian, maybe even, you know, whatever yeah. that is, instead of trying to be the whole thing, ball in motion stays in motion to try to keep things going. Yeah, I get, I, I get you there. I, I'm a little bit nerdy, so I think mechanics, I think biomechanics and physics and things like that. So that's kind of like my thought process on it. But I actually kind of like that to like, you know, somebody that doesn't think in that mindset is, is getting them more of a flowy. Because you're right, mechanics get really robotic um, if, if you try to break it down this phase and that phase and this and this and that. Um, and then you finally get to your end point. And it really should be more like a, a movement and a flow uh, going on through it. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, so brings me to another point that you were saying right there. We were talking about some stuff. You at your um, your program over there, you guys throw weighted balls. You do some of the stuff, um, highly controversial situation with that. Um, I definitely yeah. think that people have to understand that everybody's different. I don't have all of my athletes throw weighted balls. Um, some guys do, some guys can't. 
Um, I, I really liked what drive. I think driveline put something out recently talking about guys who were super hyper mobile um, or somebody did. I'm not sure. Um, then those guys particularly can't um, do the heavier balls because of sequencing and stuff like that. And I've got a couple yeah. athletes that actually have to do that. They actually go the other way, which I'm not a towel drill fan, but for the sake of one of my guys, if he doesn't do the towel drill, before he throws his entire arm path and, and, and he's six, five, his arm swing, his arm path, everything is super short and tiny just because for some reason, when he gets to his brain, he thinks he needs to throw harder. He shortens his circle, everything up. But when he keeps something super loose, so we have him, we have him do a towel drill and then we have him throw a tennis ball before a baseball. He goes the other way to mm -hmm. really be able to feel how long and loose his arm is. Yeah. And that's like, I think um, when I'm asked, like, does this or that training technique modality work, my answer is always it depends. Because while it may work for Johnny, it doesn't work for, you know, whoever else. Um, so you have to – that comes down to your evaluation process, knowing your athlete, which takes time. It takes a, a good amount of time and a thorough evaluation to get to know your athletes and which ones are going to benefit from what. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that. While some may benefit from weighted ball use, it may actually hinder the performance of another or have no effect <laughs> or have no effect. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, cool. So as far as let's, let's go over some of the things that I get asked all the time and, and we'll talk about some stuff off air and stuff too. Um, sure. As far as leg workouts go, I, I really get into a lot of, I have a lot of people um, that, that I work with and kids and they, they want to know when can little Johnny start working out? Uh, what can he do and this and that? And like you're saying, the kid's 125, 125 pounds and he's 12. He's obviously not going to be throwing 90 miles an hour. Hasn't reached his, you know, mature peak of his teenage years to be able to, to get to that point. But that being said, let's take a 12 year old, for example, average athlete, medium strength and stuff. Would you have him start off with a, a body weight kind of thing? Or would you actually maybe put a small load into him? Um, you know, could you give me some examples of some exercises there that you feel like that maybe you like, cause I think 12 is probably when people really start looking to get yeah. things serious. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, so it depends on the athlete and what type of 12 year old and you know, that stuff, but like average, decent, uh, athlete, 12 year old, I think it's important to understand as coaches, kids don't play anymore outside like they used to, right? They're, they're playing Fortnite. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's most of what kids these days are doing. They're playing video games they're probably not outside of practice and games going outside and playing. Um, growing up with me, I lived in the woods. Like I, I remember like having to get called in cause it was getting too dark or getting called in for dinner. I was always outside and think about when you're running around, jumping, climbing trees, you're overcoming tremendous ground force reactions. Your, your muscles pulling up a tree are, are under load or under tension. So it's this thought that like kids can't train because it's going to stunt their growth to me is a little bit ridiculous because the body doesn't know whether it's doing a biceps curl or and it doesn't know when it's pulling yourself up a tree. All muscles know is tension. All right. They just know that they're being placed under tension. So for that 12 year old kid, it starts with movements, right? I'm not going to load anybody 12 year old, a 34 year old. Um, if their movements are, are crappy, right? We don't want to load on top of this function. So we want to make sure we're going to start off with a body weight thing. How long that phase lasts depends on how quickly the kid adapts. I, uh, for, I have a 13 year old, not 12, but pretty close. Um, that nailed movements really early, just kind of like a gifted type mover. Now, I, I, I don't know if he's gifted athlete, he's only 13, but he, he's gifted as far as he's able to move and he was able to pick things up really quickly. Um, so for him, I was able to load him quicker. So I would go, if we're, let's just take the squat. 
I would go body weight squat, progress, uh, progress him to a, um, a goblet squat, and then you can even start loading the hinge pattern on very light, like a hex bar deadlift and things of that nature. I, I don't have a problem loading kids appropriately. Obviously, he's not going to be maxing out. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And so what about, because one of my favorite ones, especially for younger guys that I feel like is safe are kind of like a lunges, a one-legged thing right there. I feel like the one-legged stability and the things that go through that are very uh, underrated for younger guys. Do you feel like that that lunges or one-legged squats or step backs or even side lunges, uh, 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 I've been doing uh, uh, with some of my athletes what I call around the clock. You know, with even with the younger guy, maybe like have a five or 10 pound um, dumbbell in each hand and step four, you know, just follow each clock right there. Yeah, I think they're immensely underrated for any age group. Look at any sport movement and tell me how many of them take place on two legs, like pitching, for example. Like, look at like your shirt right now. A guy's pushing off his back leg, which is off the ground for a period of time and landing slowly all of his momentum on that front leg. All right. So we can we can see that there. Look at hitting. Look at Bryce Harper. His back foot is completely off the ground when he's swinging, and only his other one is. So the idea that we don't need to be able to produce and accept forces on one leg is, is crazy. So starting on younger, being able to accept those forces, it's only going to help him because he's going to be a little bit more um, resilient to injuries, resistant to injuries, because his muscles and the tissues are stronger. So definitely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think um... – there's a big debate right now. Like I hear it all the time where you like, they're talking about where pitchers have to have both feet in the ground and this and that. And, and I think it goes back to the same thing. I think everybody's different and you have to be able to figure out what works best for you. But you know, the greatest equalizer with that is, is really being able to go, you know, looking at a gun or, you know, radar reading some kind of measurement, whether it's distance, a lot of people that don't can't afford a really good radar gun, you need to be able to go, okay, I throw, you know, if I'm long tossing or, you know, whatever I'm doing, a long toss is a great way to measure power output, you know, for distance to be okay. When I do this, the ball goes further and straighter. When I don't do this, the ball maybe runs or cuts or, you know, and it has less power. You know what I mean? So I, I totally agree with the with the one footed athlete stuff. I do a lot of uh, I have guys do one footed jump ropes, one footed ladders, you yeah. know, some explosive direct, you know, changing of direction, just trying to become an athlete, um, even though, you know, the common stigma is pitchers aren't athletes. But, you know, I feel like I feel personally like pitching is probably the most athletic movement in sports. What do you think? Oh, it's definitely the most powerful single most powerful movement in sports. And it's definitely one of the most athletic movements when it's happening. Now I'll argue a little bit when the comebacker comes back to the pitcher, a little ground ball. <laughs> we'll talk about athleticism there. But I don't know if you saw so Maryland Orioles fan. Um, this is a sidetrack here, but um, do you see the play Michael Gibbons made covering home in that New York series? But that was an athletic play. I'm talking about one where you slid, slid and blocked the plate. Yeah, slid. And blocked yeah, I did the see that. Yeah. I mean that's an incredibly athletic play. So he was a shortstop though. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's it's funny the correlation that. Um, that some people don't put together when, when they don't realize, like when people are scouting that it's like catcher, pitcher, short, second center are your most recruited athletes. You know what I mean? And so, and I get it, you know what I mean? But a lot of people just, you know, get stuck in that I'm a third baseman or I'm a first baseman. And it's like, no, man, you just got to be the best athlete you can to go from there. Yeah. And sometimes it depends on what team you play on. I mean, you hear about guys getting drafted from the same high school team. I mean, not everybody, not all stud athletes can play the same position if you're a great athlete, the second baseman's a great athlete, and the third baseman's a great athlete, you probably are all interchangeable within there. Um, 
but it's just where you where coach put you for that day. Maybe you're a little bit better there, whatever it is. But yeah, I wouldn't get too hung up on that. Um, no, nah, I wouldn't get hung up on that. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's go to the next question I got for you. All right. Let's go into some nutrition stuff. Okay. Because there's a big debate, even myself with me doing stuff, Robbie, I've got, you know, clients, former clients, everybody talking about nutrition, athletes and this. And I understand you know, especially, I think the theme of this podcast is exactly what your phrase is, and it should be on a shirt. Is it depends? So yeah. you know, <laughs> I yeah, I want to get I want to get your opinion on 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 let's say nutrition and and really what maybe you recommend to your guys on what they should be doing in order to to not only maintain. Yeah, let's I, let's start with the first question. Like, what's your recommendation to athletes? And then I just thought of another question. We'll go to that one next. Okay, cool. So I know right off the bat, I'm going to differ from Robbie. Um, he's big into the keto and all that. Um, I am not so much. Um, I think it's immensely important uh, for athletes to eat throughout the day. Um, part of that is a little bit of my population. Um, I'm dealing with predominantly college athletes here and then outside of this high school athletes who are sitting for eight hours a day in a classroom um, and then they've got to go to practice or they got to go to lifts, practice and then games. So I think it's really important every two to three hours for them to fuel their body um, with food throughout the day and then eating to recover and eating to grow. So that starts off with eating. And I like it starting with a breakfast. I'm not like the old school, like have to eat breakfast. Um, but I do think it starts. I think it's very challenging to get all of your calories. And if you're not going to start off with a breakfast and then also you want to stop that fast, in my opinion, from sleeping for eight hours, hopefully at night, um, we want to start getting some nutrients back in there and it starts off with eating the right amount of calories. There's all these things, my fitness pal and all that, that you can calculate how many calories that you should um, be eating to maintain. Um, but I'm big on supplying the body with enough, enough carbohydrates to fuel and energize throughout the day and then eating enough protein um, to recover and grow. Gotcha. Okay. So is there a baseline? Um, I've heard different things like that. Is there a baseline as far as like protein per weight or anything that you try to recommend on guys? Yeah. The baseline is about like 0.8 to one gram per pound of body weight. That's generally what I like to stay at. Um, so okay. like your average, average 185 pound guy, somewhere around 160 to 180 grams. 160, 180. And I've also heard too, and this is something that, um, tell me, I, I don't know if you ever heard this, but um, one of the things that I always try to tell some of the guys too, and it's correct me if I'm wrong, cause I definitely could be wrong is, is that your body can only process a certain amount of protein per hour, per couple hours. And so like you see some guys that maybe put like three scoops of protein into their shake. And my thought is it, understanding how the human body works is that you might just be wasting your money because it's not necessarily going to absorb like you want it to. Yeah, there's there's different studies, and with that in front of me, I don't know like the absorption rates off my off the top of my head. Um, but I think if you're relying on protein shakes or one meal in general to be the primary source of your protein intake, that's a mistake from the beginning. Um, like I said, I want to fuel throughout the day, so we should be getting sufficient amounts throughout the day so that our body always is recovering and always in the state of kind of like growth in, in energy um, building. So. And also going into the protein shake thing, supplements are supplements. They're added to an already good diet. The only reason I really see a need for supplements is if you already have that solid base there. So getting 90% of your protein intake should be from your diet. And maybe that other 10 is from like bars or shakes or things just because of convenience. Gotcha. So okay. Scoops is probably yeah. most people's like at least a third of their protein for the day. So that's 
I wouldn't recommend that either way. Yeah, exactly. That's right. You know, I you see it's kind of funny because you see like some in baseball, there's like a meathead bro science type of situation where people go into it. And I understand it, you know, like it's normal um, for people to want to like, okay, let's turn up the intensity. That's just mainly what a lot of these ball players do, you know, to, to really, okay, this is what I, I've got to get there. I've got to be dedicated instead of understanding the process. Um, So the other question that I, that I had for you was, I was talking. I've been a lot of my athletes, a lot of hitters, a lot of throwers. Don't really have two. I have a couple hitters, younger guys, but mainly throwers. Um, do you feel? What do you feel like is the hardest thing to produce in baseball, power wise? Do you feel? Let's just. I, uh, I what, do you, what you're what you're asking. Clarify. Okay, bit. so the the power categories. You have the arm. The let, let's take your power categories. We're basically speed, throwing, and hitting. Right. Those are your basic power categories. Right. In, in baseball, really. Sure. Do you, which one do you feel like takes the longest uh, to develop? I, I would say I would say speed. I think speed like flat end, like ceiling bases, running a 60 yard dash time probably takes the longest to develop. Um, but but it's tough, too, because it's going to depend on on every athlete. Um, but I think like pitching velocity and exit velocity can come from like i'm not going to use from our, our movements or our flow you can gain miles per hour just by getting a little bit stronger and, and improving mobility a little bit here and there i think it takes a lot more as far as like running form and mechanics and actual power speed forcing to the ground to develop higher end speed i just think it i think it's tougher to improve your 60 time by um seconds than it is to improve velocity or exit velocity by miles per hour Super interesting. That, Super. That, 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 really that was the question that came to me earlier. Yeah, I was I wanted I don't to even know if it's quantifiable, though. Like, I don't know how you would measure that. Like, what is tough? Like, what is toughness? It, it, exactly. Well, and that's where honestly. So like, so I've been throwing this phrase out and I get some crap about it online, but it's online. What are you going to do? That does. Yeah. Who cares? But I honestly think for what I've known with my body and how I got hurt, and how things go, I think anybody can throw 90 miles an hour. I don't think it's a matter of if it's a matter of when, you know, if you get the right information, um, obviously if you're throwing and it hurts, don't keep doing it. That's, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions, you know, I, you know, one of the biggest things that I run into with kids and their throws and what they're doing this and there is they'll throw and all these kids develop an ability to lie to their coaches because as soon as you say your arm hurts, what's your coach to do? sticks you on the bench. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and so they just don't do it. And meanwhile, I'm going over here like yesterday. I had a great example. I had a, I got a 10 year old, he's a catcher pitcher, really doing well, really picking up a lot of the stuff we're doing, but he has a habit and he's 10 of only throwing like a catcher because of the catching clinics and the things that he's just doing. So he's come up with me and now he's starting to pitch and his dad's starting to realize that he's, he's complaining about his arm all the time because he's only throwing like a catcher. So we're, we're trying to lengthen his arm out and make him be able to differentiate. Okay. This is how you throw when you're not catching, you have a nice long, loose arm action you finish loose. This is what you do. And he's really adjusted everything that he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So I guess the question I have for you too, do you think there's a place for guys that have a short arm? So I naturally had like a shorter arm. So I played shortstop. So I kind of naturally had that like shorter, more compact throw and almost a little bit side army type throw, like typical of a middle infielder. 
would you take someone like that and pull them out of that if they have no pain and that, like, that, that's how they throw off the mound? Or does everybody have to be a long-arm guy, basically, or no? Okay, so good question, because that, that is a very good debate. So here's my thought on it. I've met, history-wise, I'm not a doctor, history-wise, okay. I've met more guys with Tommy John who are catchers, infielders, and pitchers than outfielders. So just as far as that goes and experience and how long toss, like I'm 32, I just long toss for two hours. Like got up early, knocked it out, had a long toss lesson with a guy. We knocked it out. So I don't see guys doing that as infielders because of how invasive it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously you're trying to be short. So a lot of my guys, I pre even the catchers, I preach, you got a long toss like an outfielder and then yeah. – when you're in the game or when you're doing your throws on the second, you got to throw like a catcher just to lengthen things up and to be able to go there. And I, I've got a athlete who went to perfect game recently and we've been building his velo up, doing shuffle fires, doing all this stuff, all as a pitching, like, you know, outfielder like throw. Mm -hmm. And then he went to his perfect game thing, made the first page in his pop times and his velos. Um, and we we're pumped about it because he went up. From when we started, he went up eight eight miles an hour on both of those recorded things um, from when we started two months ago, which is huge. But we know it's also from him growing, getting stronger, putting, a, you know, he's throwing twice a week, really getting into it. So, you know, I, I would personally put it out there and say that I think that, you know, if you can, the, the long, loose arm action is I think just so much more beneficial in the long run of building good arm strength and arm speed and arm consistency and arm conditioning, arm everything, you know, yeah. as, and so, and then being able to differentiate between the two, I think is huge for guys. Yeah. I think that's pretty important too. So I used a long toss, um, granted not that far. I didn't have the strongest arm as far as shortstop go. Um, but, I used to long toss before game and in practice and things like that as well. And obviously that's a different arm slot than when I'm making a play um, on the field at shortstop. And I think the whole thing about, and it is, I guess, a little different for catchers, but infielders, you have to throw from a ton of different arm angles just naturally. I mean, sometimes the slow roller you're throwing from down low, sometimes you're quick, sometimes you can take a little bit more time. Um, so that, that differentiation, being able to determine when to use what arm slot, I, I think that was, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, and even then, like, I think that a common misconception of, show, of of infielders having to be short to get rid of it quick, when you look at the younger guys that play those smaller fields, that's where we run into really bad motions on these teaching these kids how to throw because they only have to throw it 50 feet. Right. And so as soon as they get to that bigger field, when they get to the ball in the hole and they got to make a 120-foot throw at 14, they don't know how to do it because they've never made that throw. And then they don't even long toss, like you're saying, to really get the arm and the body ready to go to be an absolute animal of an athlete in a game when you need to be. Definitely. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed like it. it. Nailed it. Okay. So you had some other questions for me from your pitchers, correct? Got them. Wow. We got a list. We have a list of, yeah, I, I, of I, questions. I probably 20 questions on here I'm that's exciting no it's that's great dude i'm excited for you because i mean too bad your guys aren't in the background right there to get to ask it themselves so they can hear the answers but we'll send them the link you know they can hear yeah, everything they'll you get know? the link they're actually in pre-game uh batting practice right now so they're getting that going on a little bit um, all right let's start with it all right so first one just because this is going to be probably a long talking point i would imagine um i kind of know my thought on this but from you know to a pitching guy i, I definitely want to figure this out um, so 
if you can only pick one, can't have both, only pick one, what is more important or critical to pitching success, velocity or command? Now, ideally, everybody's like throwing 99 dot in corners, right? But if you can only do one, what do you think is like key, biggest key, velocity or command? So I would say, okay, we gotta, I got to differentiate where we're at because the way the game is now with Velo, right? It's very hard to go in to the major leagues throwing 90 miles an hour and being successful. So we have to define what velocity is. Is it a 100-mile-an-hour fastball or is it 95? Because if it's 100, I'm taking 100 over 95 even as a starter. Now, as a closer, it's completely different. You know what I mean? So in this day and age, you have to take velocity because that's the game that's being played. You have to. You do not get a shot. Like just on Twitter the other day, I, I'm not, I don't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Ben Brewster at Tread Athletics. But okay. uh, he said, look at all the 90 to 93 guys that are getting released these days because they don't throw hard enough. And it's so true. It's so true. So command is a very common misconception, I think, also because people right. think, yeah. like it sounds like your athletes, think that pitchers dot up every pitch and that's just not the case it's not especially with this day and age of movement so i'll send a question back to your guys and say what's more important velocity command or movement i'll throw that back at them and and say enjoy that one because i need them to define command and that's a great question and maybe we can have a conversation with your guys later about it maybe on a live or something and i'll just throw out some you know we'll throw out some things because you can look at look at a kershaw Granted, he's not, you know, this year I see his velo a little bit down, which we'll talk about. Well, I will talk about that. I think I predicted something. I Anyway. You actually did last time. I remember that. Yeah. um, But the same sense, look at all these new young guys coming up throwing 96, 97, but they're not throwing four seamers. You know, they're throwing two seams cutters. I think the information that's out there these days, I think there's too many guys that have four pitches now. You can't just be a two-pitch guy or a three-pitch guy. You have to understand tunnels, changing eye levels, this and that, and those are the guys that are the best at it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, people used okay. to give – go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go. Good. I was going to say, I'll, I, one of my favorite pitchers of all time, and you can see the chin piece here, is Josh Beckett, okay? Okay. People used to give him so much crap about his curveball – when he was with the Red Sox and the Marlins, they talked about it was too slow. Everybody was into this hard slider, hard slider thing. Look at the momentum of the game of when he came up, and I think he came up in 2004, and then everybody was fat sinker slider. That, that's what you heard, sinker slider, sinker slider, right? So everything was hard, hard, hard. I think his curveball, just like what Kershaw is doing now, his their curveballs, using it as like a change-up curveball as a much slower pitch, really are throwing off these hitters that they have to deal with speed ranges that are so much different, making it even more difficult. Then you add a Marcus Stroman who has those two or three different breaking balls that different speeds, plus he's changing his timing on when he's lifting and what he's doing. Now we're really becoming difficult in the things. But yet when we look at those guys who are successful in doing it, we don't preach to our younger guys to try that stuff because it's too hard. You can't do it allegedly. But with me, all right, I had another 12-year-old, which I'm super pumped about. One day we worked on 
timing changes just on his just on his windup. He's playing a little league, so he has a perfect. He plays travel ball too, but he actually in little league he's able to go out of the windup. Zero risk of a guy stealing or trying to do anything. So he gets to experiment with like step back, step forward, step side, slide steps, lift and holds, all these things that you can find. Shameless plug on my YouTube channel. <laughs> If you want to learn some more sequence timing changes that with nobody on are completely legal, by the way. Um, but, you know, and and he goes out, throws seven innings. I'm sorry, throws six innings, 80 pitches, strikes out 12. Just dad was ecstatic, you know, and just throwing hard. Arm feels good. Everything's going great. And he's fastball, changeup, curveball. Uh, two seam, add a little two seam. Haven't really worked on the cutter yet. We'll get that in there on him, you know, when he gets a little bit older. Mm-hmm. But he just really enjoys and understands that the batter reaction affects his pitches and what he's trying to do in his plan. So he went out and he told me, he was like, Coach, I did exactly what you did. And for example, couple months ago, I faced a guy that I used to play against and he knows I'm a cutter guy. He knows mm-hmm. I have a good one. So I started off with the first pitch fastball inside. Uh, he's the second batter of the game. I missed up and in. He swung at it. So, okay, no big deal. I'm going to go – I'm going to throw it again and see what he does. Throw it yeah. in again. Swings and misses again. So I've thrown two balls, but now I have two strikes because he swung and missed, and he's underneath both of them with just huge back shoulder down lifting. Third pitch, all right, I'm going to do it again see what he does. Same spot, swings and misses. <laughs> I proceed to throw six more fastballs up and in and strike him out three times in a row. Like just didn't throw strikes, fastballs up and in. He and I I was like, oh, as soon as this guy doesn't swing at one of these, I'm going, I'm going to throw a different pitch. And I didn't have to. You know what I mean? But until then, why? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So okay, so then I'll add another question. I'll add to throw another question back to your pitchers. Yeah. Right? What's more important? Velocity or sequences? Yeah. Next question. Next question. All right, let's see. Where do I want to go? All right, so this is pretty vague. Um, Just throwing routine in between starts. Okay, so we have pitching coach here. I don't go – I don't do – I don't set up the throwing routine or anything like this. Um, So I guess they want to get your opinion on throwing routine between starts. So just through a complete game, no hitter yesterday, what am I doing tomorrow in the next five days? No hitters? I'm celebrating. Um, no. Uh, so I personally think um, as far as what and I'm sure you know about this too, getting mobility back to 100 percent as quickly as you can is the most important yep. thing. I think there's no better way to go about and do it than actually throwing. So even even if the very next day, if I threw. OK, so, for example, I even take myself. I throw every Sunday. I have no pitch limit. Don't believe in it, by the way. I believe in what my body tells me each day. So matter of fact, I hate when people tell me it because I feel like it's a psychological thing that I don't need to know because my body tells me and the location of the ball tells me what's going on, right? Now it's different for big leaguers. And the reason why is they only have four days. So they figured out in the big leagues, if you only throw a hundred pitches, you can recover quicker to be able to go on that fifth day. That's why you don't see guys really go past 110, 115, unless it's a big time, no hitter, perfect game situation, or we're into the season, the playoffs. And then what they'll do is they'll pull someone up from AAA. So that guy will miss a start to be able to get a full recovery. So it doesn't do anything. And he'll come back at that next one to be able, and he'll be hundred percent fresh. So my personal routine is 
I will throw for 20 to 40%. I will do all of my mobility with my plyo balls. I'll do everything at a very slow speed and it sucks. So tell them that it sucks. It's not fun. But I know after 15 or 20 minutes of just constantly doing the motion, things are going to loosen up and I'm going to start to feel better. Most guys are going to want to push it and keep going, but that's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. You stop right there, go back to your recovery, your, your rehab stuff, and then let yourself feel good. So then that's day one. Day two, and I'll still do my sprints. I'll still get a huge workout in. Um, I'm a full, I really, I don't like breaking things up into upper body, lower body. I'm a total body everyday guy. That's for, how we are. Well, yeah. So I'm a total body everyday guy for whether I'm in season or out of season. One, I don't, I just feel like I'm wasting time. You know, like I feel like I could, there's no reason why I can't do heavy leg day and do shoulders and some, some chest, some pushups, you know, some stability stuff. There's, I, I feel like that I can still do it. And I, I know not everybody can do that, but I just feel like that was, that works for me. So sure. day two, I'm going to do the same th rehab throwing stuff. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to do even more in the gym and then I'm going to try to stretch it to at least 150 or 200 and see how I feel. Um, and, and throw at that, at that distance until I start to feel fatigue. So if I get to a 150, 200 and I feel good, I might get 15 to 25 throws at that distance to feel good and see how I do. Now, some days I might not be able to. I might not be only, only be able to get to 100, 115, 120, whatever it is, but I'm trying to get as close as I can to 200 as quickly as I can, but still listening to my body without rushing it. Sure. Okay. Day three, um, day three I'm definitely going to get out there. Um, and work on my distance, I should be at day three, I should be back to 100%. So I'm going to get a full deep long toss in. And I'm going to do pull downs, shuffle fires, whatever you're going to call it. Um, also on these days, uh, I'm so day two and on, I'm going to throw a small flat ground or what I call a short box, which is off the mound. Right. I like to be on the mound more at a 50% effort with a decent stride length. That's where I think people mess up on their short boxes. They shorten their stride length to throw the ball. I'm going to go same stride length at, at 50% or whatever, but the catcher is going to be five, 10 feet in front of the plate. So I'm going to be 50 feet, maybe, maybe 45 feet just to feel, just to feel the slope of the mound and to throw my pitches, to feel the spin of what I'm trying to do. Um, then day four, going to stretch it out again. I should be two days out. So that'll be a, a little bit closer of a bullpen. And I think bullpens are optional. I think that I know guys that uh, go in, have gone an entire season without throwing a bullpen in between because they don't like throwing it slow. Um, I'm one of those guys that likes to be closer to 80, 90% when I'm in the bullpen. So I feel like I'm in the game. So yeah. I might not even do a bullpen either. It really just depends on how I feel in the week, um, how things feel. Uh, I feel like max effort flat grounds for me make me locate and feel better than max effort bullpens off the mound. Um, I don't know why it's just what I feel. It's what I like. Um, right. and then day before I'm going to play catch, stretch it out to hundred, 150 play catch, come back, not throw too much, do some sprints, some stability, some abs, and then I'll set up and be ready to go back to it. Yeah. So I think, for my guys, which I'm sure they're going to be listening to this, I think the biggest thing, and I think you said it maybe 10, 15 times, 
is feel how I feel based on how I feel listening to my body, listening and just feeling it out. I think that's the, the biggest thing. So while they may like sit there with a notepad and jot down exactly what you just said and do all that, a, a lot of that is going to depend on feel and how they're feeling. And I, I think you should probably run if somebody uh, coaching wise is going to force you into, no, you're throwing this distance today. You're, you're going 200. Definitely. I don't care how your arm feels. Um, run quick and scream. Um, so yeah, I like that a lot from the training side of things. Cause you touched on it a little bit. Let me know how you think about this. I think our heaviest lift in season as pitchers should be, if it can't be after our start, same day, the day after we start. And like our highest taxing lift, so like our heavy deadlift or our heavy squat day should be there. That is what we do. Reason being, that's the furthest from the next most taxing day that you're going to have. Pitch, pitching day should be your most explosive, all your energy, all your effort into that day. So if we train same day after, or the day after we're getting furthest away from our next start, giving ourselves the most amount of time to recover. Where are you on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's where uh, my full body, um, those, and I actually do two days in a row Two, I want two big days because yeah. they're going to be different things. I'm going to do, I think I'll probably do, I like deadlifting the day after because my squat, I just feel like my, normally my hips and everything are too locked up to really be able to get where I want to. So I'll do a lighter squat day just to warm up. So I'll do 135 or 185 low box squat and also do maybe like a snatch, a kettlebell snatch or a kettlebell swing and then do a heavy deadlift, maybe do some box jumps, maybe do some broad jumps and some, uh, what'd you call them? Lateral bounds. Mm -hmm. I like those. Um, and then, uh, the next day I'll do a heavy squat day and then do a little bit more of, of maintenance of like, you know, your tricep extension, you know, just do overall maintenance on all the muscles, chest flies, high pulls, lat pulls, rows. Um, I'm big on, I'm big on trying to get, I like my, like working rows and back. I really like what that does for the mobility and just the feel just to make me feel good. Yeah, I definitely like hammering uh, muscles of the upper back. Those are, I mean, they're going to be, they're, at the end of the day, the muscles of the upper back, rotator cuff, posterior cuff, traps and things are what keep your scap in your arm from flying off every time you throw a pitch. So if you just threw a 100-plus pitch outing, um, there's a good chance that they've been stretched out and you're going to be a little bit rounded forward. So I'm big on pulling it back. Uh, and we talked last time about um, our post-throwing program, how we are quickly after a start trying to reestablish range of motion um, as quickly as we can in the bullpen and then that next day um while it's our max effort day a heavy effort day um we're probably pairing well not probably definitely pairing our hex bar deadlift with some sort of range of motion exercise maybe it's a, a prone y or some sort of external rotation um because we, we tend to lose the most external rotation at the shoulder hip as we pitch and awesome to get that back awesome next question right. next one Maybe the last one. We'll see here. I know I answered this question for them, but I just want to see what you think about this. Um, and, and we don't do any of it, but uh, should pitchers run long distance or focus more on sprint explosion work? Okay. So I am definitely both ways on this because I understand there's a mental thing. So I talked to a coach recently about why that some of the pitchers, they have their pitchers run long distance. And I've never heard this argument before. And I kind of liked it. Um, but I definitely don't think it's a primary way to do it. I'm all into the, I really like 
sprint agility change of direction. I love the box drill, the cones. I love, um, for example, yesterday, I don't know if you saw my Insta story. I had one of my athletes do a ladder to um, sprint to a back pedal at an angle to a shuffle to a sprint. So like just all that change of direction and athletic movement, especially for that long gangly guy, I'm seeing really big gains for him, even adding jump ropes and stuff like that. I feel like people don't look at agility as like agility is anything from a box jump to a broad jump to a jump rope to a, a ladder even to a direction. sprint yeah change in direction being agile you know what i mean um but so the argument that this guy made was having the mental toughness the day after your start feeling tired to go on a 20 minute run and not stopping takes something mentally from you to focus on and and i feel like all of the running that I did in junior college, like we used to have, oh my God. I mean, dude, every day after school, poles after me practice, not even poles, dude, we had to run around the campus and it, the oh. campus was just surrounded by traffic and you're just oh. running into fumes. But there was definitely a correlation between the guys that were successful on the mound. Our coach made it known. The guys that were successful on the mound were also the fastest guys running, uh, you know, doing their three mile run <laughs> and not stopping you know, making it a challenge. Like, I don't care if you slow down, just don't stop, don't walk, you know? Yeah. So I think that that side of it is kind of something interesting, but I definitely I, understand I that it's not you. helping you, you know? I, I will challenge you on that. Were the guys better at pitching because they were better at the three-mile run or were they better at the three-mile run and better at pitching because in general they were the better athletes? No, exactly, exactly. Or, or also, were they the mentally strongest athletes, you know? Right. So I think there's like, a lot of other factors that go into that. We don't we don't do any any distance running, um, really at all, um, for like training purposes. As far as like you know, if they're messing around at practice, coach may have them run distance. Um, that's that's a separate thing. But um, I don't have them do it for a training ad adaptation. Uh, we do a lot of sprint work, and and I don't mean like should pitchers run when I say no. I don't mean they don't need any um, aerobic capacity. They definitely do, um, but I don't find it necessary to run distance um and waste all that amount of time i would rather do sprint work and circuit work to develop that aerobic capacity um that more relates to the game of baseball which isn't that that aerobic energy system from di long distance running yeah totally totally agree i mean it's it's even for the people that their coach makes them run poles i always tell people just do a sprint jog sprint foul line yeah. to left center jog to jog to center or jog to right center sprint to the you know sprint to the foul the foul line so you know yeah, I, the bone arrows or whatever they're called exactly yeah whatever they're called whatever you want to call them i mean there's a bunch of bunch of different ways to go about just getting that uh sprint in and what i think what what you're hinting at is trying to get to top end speed and then slowing down is really what what in any direction is really what you're trying to do to be more agile sure Definitely. And, and you mentioned ladders, too, which get, like, destroyed on the Internet. Um, and sometimes rightfully so. Like, if you're, if you're doing ladders to get faster, um, <laughs> you're, you're probably wasting your, wasting your time. But if you're doing ladders, like, because you're kind of long, gangly, and you're kind of, like, motion stupid, and you haven't figured out how to move yet, I, I love using the ladders and different cone drills for especially young guys um, that are kind of in that phase where they just grew and they don't really know how to move everything yet. Um, I, I like using ladders and that but that that goes back to like it depends you know the answer is it depends because the tool could be good for some but 
it's probably not great for elite level athletes that already know how to move. Well, I'll, I'll even throw it out with the elite level athletes. Like let's just That's go instead of the, the, the scientific thing. How about it just being fun? How about just yeah. have fun doing a ladder drill that's different than just staring at the ground while you're jogging for 20 minutes, you know? Or how about like, yeah, I like that with even more of the elite athletes in like a warm up or, or getting things going. Like ladder drills with different foot patterns, way more fun than, all right, high knees, all right, come back, butt kicks. Right, yeah. Pull it up, lunge it out. Like that gets, and like my guys are going to laugh at that because, you know, we our warm up probably gets a little bit repetitive when they're doing it every single day too. Um, but that adds some variation in there. I even saw Eric Cressy, who I'm sure you're aware of. Um, you know the slam ball game with the little trampoline? He had yeah. some pro doing that as part of their, their warm-up one day, working Dude. on changing direction and getting blood flow. And so, love yeah. it. Love it. I was I, just I, about I, to make, make a recommendation for you to try to turn everything into a game. That's what we do with a lot of our stuff. Competition. Yep. Competition. So yeah. we'll put um, we'll put tennis balls on cones, on those little like soccer cones, to do their at their agility stuff. So when they're doing like we do, we do one where they do zigzag, like a shuttle, a shuttle zigzag. So they're basically going down and back and they have to grab the ball. It turns into a, like a two ball thing where you take a ball, put it on the thing, go get another ball, move it, move it, move it, move it. And the first guy to get to the end wins. But when you have those two athletes competing against each other, you're getting way more out of it as far as like trying to be aggressive and getting to full power on everything. Definitely. That's something I picked up on uh, really early in my training career. I, I, I was blessed to not with them, but work with the New York Yankees head of strength conditioning um, on a separate business. Again, it wasn't with the Yankees, um, but outside of that, we worked um, with youth athletes and we were doing like a speed clinic and speed and agility. And his big thing is creating that competitive at atmosphere because you're going to get the most out of it. You're going to be at game speed when you're competing because you, you compete in the game. If you compete in your drills, you'll be closer to that game speed. I mean, you know this. When do you run faster? When you're running sprints by yourself or when you're running sprints when you're either chasing someone or somebody's chasing you? I mean, um, you're going to run a lot faster when you have that competition trying to get away or trying to catch up to somebody. Um, yeah. And that's the best way to do it. So I definitely agree with that as far as training goes. Solid. Solid. I totally agree. It sounds like we're on the same page. So weird. For the most part. Yeah. All right. Next Next question. All right. Uh, oh. Let's see. That's a good one. Those are the three I highlighted. So let's see what else we got on here. All right. So this is kind of a um, – and, and this will depend on a lot of things too. What do you think about a gap year? So a kid um, coming out of high school wants to take a gap year. Maybe he went to UCO and wants to take a gap year to just focus on development. Um, what do you think he misses out on or, or benefits most from from taking a year off to train and work on that? Great question. Great question. First, okay. First of all, I'll answer all those questions that you guys got because I don't want to feel any of them feel gypped. So, um, <laughs> gap year. I actually, until I saw Driveline put out on it, you know that they were going to do that. Um, mm -hmm. I actually don't mind it. Um, I think it's against popular opinion because we have a lot of people that think that there's a timeline to this thing. You know what I mean? Uh, there is kind of a timeline when it comes to the NCAA and and how that stuff goes. But you're seeing a lot of pro athletes that are just skipping a year to yeah. train to continue to get stronger. Because especially with how when you play your season as, as a pro, it's so aggressive on your body on everything that you just lose so much mobility and strength and speed throughout as the season goes on stuff. 
Um, even if you're training at your best, you're still going to lose stuff. Um, so, you know, being able to maintain that, you're not going to continue to grow. You're going to try, but you're just, you're going to plateau as the season goes. You know, you, you might get mid-season form, as they call, and you might throw one to two faster, but you're not going to see any major gains. Matter of fact, your average is probably going to drop on your pitches. I think we look at top-end velocity a little too much sometimes and not at average velocity. I think if I can raise your average velocity with some stuff, we're going to see way better consistency rather than just your top-end. Um, so I think it, once again, it depends. I think it depends on the athlete and where they're at. If you aren't at 90 miles an hour as a pitcher, we'll just take a pitcher for example. If you're not at 90, then the odds of you going where you want to go and to continuing where do you, and to continue to get there are, are, aren't really going to be there. And now I think it's even more to a 92, 93, um, because there just are so many guys that are throwing cheddar. I mean, I want to say it was the Astros. Pretty sure it was the Astros or, or somebody in the playoffs. But I remember that on MLB Network, they were talking about, yeah, it was the Astros. So they brought up in their September call-ups like 10 guys throwing a hundo, like 10 dudes, 10 straight dudes throwing cheese. Not one of them got put on the playoff roster. I'm like, wow. you got a stable of thoroughbreds throwing cheese and none of them going there. And then look at how they did. Like, I love how the Astros managed their bullpen and how they did everything because they went with their guys. I feel like their coach was the first time that I saw a coach be like, he was playing the show and he had an unlimited bullpen <laughs> and he could be like, I can put a starting pitcher in the game as a reliever. And you'd have thought the announcers lost their mind, you know, like until you would go to the actual, you know, the Mecca that I love MLB network where they're like, yeah, why don't, why haven't they done this more? Like, why don't right. people use their dudes who can do it? They're not saying everybody can, but obviously Morton monster McCullers monster Verlander monster. They were all ready to go. They wanted to, they wanted, they were there and they realized how rare it was to win a world series or win a championship in general. And that you just have to be a dude, you know? Yeah, definitely. So I, I think you covered the gap year thing, it, and it depends. I'll, I'll segue into, like, the gap summer or whatever for, like, a high school or, like, a junior college guy. Um, I think playing tournament after tournament, showcase after showcase in the summer is less beneficial than maybe doing a handful or a short amount of them and spending that time to develop and get actually better. What are you showcasing if you're throwing 75? No, preach, like preach. You just said it. If not, you're, you're not going anywhere, most likely, unless you throw at least 90-plus or something of that nature. So why not spend the time, and if you think that everybody can throw 90, like you said, why not spend the time putting in the training and the work over that summer to go do that instead of, like, going all over the country to play in these different showcases where maybe some random school calls you or nobody calls you? And I think that's the mistake I made coming up. I, I didn't have it. I was fast. I wasn't that big in high school. I was probably like 170, 165, 170 pounds in high school. I had nothing to really showcase. If I would have like prioritized my time to train and, and got better during that time, it would have been would have been a way better. It could be a different story. I could be doing something else. <laughs> oh, I totally agree. I mean, looking at my summers, um, the two summers that I played college summer ball. Um, the first summer I had really went well, um, just on the simple fact of we only played three games a week and I was the Thursday guy. We played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. 
And that, actually, I'm sorry, we played three days a week. That was it. It was we played Thursday, Friday, doubleheader on Saturday. And so it was really easy. I knew I was throwing on Thursday. So like I was able to train and do what I need to do and get a full outing in, you know, and throw seven, eight, nine innings because I was only throwing once a week. And I was using that as my three days a week max effort days to really get into my throw. And I saw big time gains. I really learned how to be a dude and strike mm -hmm. out as many guys as I can. Um, but in the same sense, when I went to that better league that I went to the following year, we played four days a week spread out. So I noticed that my strength, my training, I, I didn't get as good because we had a lot of travel. You know, we were going here, we were going there. I, my arm strength got good. I got better at a little bit better at pitching, but I don't feel like I was efficient enough for what I was doing. So I think it all, it goes back to, it all depends, you know, like you're saying, yeah. and just, I think, I think it's a good, th if I were to put a stamp on it and just be like, yes or no, I would say yes. If you're not where you want to be, especially yeah, and, if you're a younger guy, especially if you're a younger yeah, guy. Yeah. And, and I kind of would lean that way too, especially like if we just talked about, you lose velocity, you lose weight, you lose range of motion as the season goes on. Why would you, after the end of your season, continue another one, meaning summer ball, when you could spend the time developing and getting better? Because then you just start getting into like the rat race of going in the same place over and over again. You know, then you, then you come up on the definition of insanity. Exactly. There. Exactly. I got to talk to you about some stuff off air too, because we're going to be starting a four day a week training program. Oh. Um, just, just, we're going to do just basically throwers, throw pitchers, throwers. We're going to be doing throwing, lifting and, and oh. agility, strength training, you know, everything right. I want, I want to cover every aspect because I've got, I've got some dudes that definitely, if we could put, if I could put three months and they could put three months into some big time training, we're going to see some big time numbers. You know, I've got, a junior college guy that he went from pulling down 82 and now he's pulling down 94, 95 and his nice. goals, to, his, his goals to pull down a hundred, if not a hundred yeah. plus. And I think if he can get that, I mean, he's, he's, if you, if you created a player, this is a kid, six, five right. long arms, two fifteen, great two oh, seam match, good slider. Like the, there's your creative player. And he yeah. knows that now, and he understands what he has to do to train. He doesn't have exactly the best motion, but it's his motion and he's able to do what he needs to do with it. You know what I mean? And so yeah. he, he understands the training side is way more beneficial to him than going up to an Oregon or wherever and playing a season, you know, going there. And he's like, okay, I'm going to get a job. Like here's okay, guys, if you're listening, college athletes, find a, find a job waiting tables at a high end restaurant. Okay only work nights so you can train all day, work at night to make your money, to survive, to eat, to pay for your training, pay for your food, do what you can in the summer. And then you will get addicted to that process of, okay, I wake up, I cross the gym, I throw, I do what I can. I go work, I wait tables, make a little money, start it all over the next day. And, and it's a, yeah. once you get into that routine, man, you, you're going to put yourself a little bit ahead, not even just in baseball, but in life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's awesome. I, I love that. We'll, yeah. let's leave tell that, that tell that to your, tell that to your, your guys. I'm going to, whatever the timestamp is on that, I'm just going to like cut it and then send it to every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Right Sounds there. good. All right. You got another question? No, that, that, that'll wrap this up. I got to get out to the field in a little bit here. So 
That's perfect. That's perfect, man. All right. So just tell everybody uh, where they can find you on, on Instagram, Twitter, your website, everything. Sure. And, and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at hash fitness, hash underscore fitness on Instagram at hash fitness underscore sports performance. And then on my website where I have um, videos, blogs, all types of good stuff going on there. Train with me for them. Um, www.travishashfitness.com. That's where I can Awesome. Awesome. Well, dude, it's, I, like I said, I really love the internet because this community of, of baseball get minds, this, these younger guys that want to get the good information, guys like you that go out there and, and just want to help. And, and if you guys are in his area, find him, you got to find a dude. I heard something the other day that I really liked uh, from this, one of these life coaches, quote unquote, but it kind of makes sense. You get a lot more out when somebody's pushing you. You know, if you yeah. go by, if you go to the gym by yourself and you can do it, that's great. But the, that's rare. You know, it's very rare that you can go in and really knock out your own program. It's way better to have someone there that can kind of mix it up for you, make it competitive, make it fun. And if I were to put my stamp on a dude, this is my guy. I wish I was in in your area. I'd love to come get a workout in. Maybe we can figure that out. You know, eventually we can do a clinic or something up there where we can well, knock something fun Let, you know? let's, let's go to your area uh, oh yeah <laughs> maryland all right it's <laughs> true very true very very true <laughs> maybe if you come out here we can knock out some cool stuff so sure. um you got any anything else no that's it man that's all. that is all okay cool well guys once again go follow travis dm him he's a great dude obviously he knows what he's talking about if anybody has a question for either one of us feel free to shoot us a message shoot us a dm whatever we can don't forget to check, go check out my website, grab you a Let It Fly Factory, Strikeout Savage, Long Toss Legend, working on some Cutter Nation strength and training shirts. We'll get that. Also, maybe maybe bring on the queso. Haven't quite figured out the queso shirt, but queso will definitely be coming. Or some hats. Get your J-bands, weighted balls, flush bands, anything you need to train. I got the tubing, whatever that body blade tubing thing is. We got all that stuff. So grab your stuff on there. Get yourself stronger. Anything else, dude? That's all. Just thanks for having me on here. This was fun. All right, man. Sounds good. All right, guys. One last thing. Don't forget, throw hard.